Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. I'm just going to dive straight in. There was a cold November day. 11 years ago, much like today. And Steve and I had this experience which probably changed our attitudes towards money forever. We both happened to be at home that day doing various chores around the house and there was a knock at the door and uh, there was a a smartly dressed man on our doorstep and he had an envelope in his hand and as he handed the envelope to Steve, he stated very formally that the HMRC was declaring Steve bankrupt and they were freezing all of our assets. As you can imagine, we were just completely floored in this moment. Um, We knew we'd had trouble with the HMRC. Basically, we'd had toings and froings for the previous six years um, previous to that, where uh, Steve had done various different jobs. At times, he'd been employed. Other times, he'd been self-employed. And so the HMRC, God bless them, had got a little bit confused with his tax returns. And so we'd post off the correct tax returns, this was, this was way before um, online, um, think that it was all sorted, and then a few months later they'd send us a reminder or some kind of bill saying that we'd, um, the amount had now gone up that we owed. And so we'd ring up again, we'd speak to a different person, we'd get reassured that it was all okay, and then a few months later we'd get another letter saying that we owed even more money. And so this cycle carried on for a few years, but we had no idea that we were heading towards bankruptcy. And so we had a decision to make there and then of how we were going to handle this. Were we going to go into anxiety and panic? Because let's face it, money issues are one of the major causes of stress and anxiety. Or were we actually going to trust God? And I can honestly say that those few months where we had to fight our case and represent ourselves in court because we couldn't afford a lawyer, we had to make decisions about our future, which our finances didn't permit us to make, um, were some of the joyful times that we've actually had. Um, it, was a, it was just a real time. We, d- we, we sort of declared God's provision over us every single day, and we just stood on the truth of his provision, even if it meant we lost everything, which we actually could have done. Um, that, and there was just something so freeing in that, knowing that all of our stuff belonged to God. It all just belongs to him anyway. Um, and, and I can honestly say that something shifted in us at this point, just realizing that it all belonged to God. All of our stuff belongs to God. It's actually really freeing, guys. Um, you'll be relieved to know that the outcome of it was that we went to court to get it overturned, and it was successful, which was an absolute miracle. Um, it was against all the odds. We did have to pay a huge sum of money that we didn't actually owe, um, but the bankruptcy was overturned, which was incredible. But we learned some lifelong lessons about money that um, just shaped our attitude towards it forever, really. So we're in the middle of this series. We're talking about counterfeit gods. And Mike talked a few weeks ago about um, some of the ways that we might be able to tell if we have an idol. He talked about daydreams, talked about nightmares, talked about having excessive emotions. And I'm pretty sure that all of us can identify with this in relation to money. Um, pretty sure that all of us at some point will have dreamt about uh, winning the lottery and all the lavish lifestyle that you might be able to have as a result of that. Um, pretty sure probably all of you have probably woken up in a cold sweat about not having money. Um, this, this is the reality that we live with, don't we? 
And so many fears that come up in relation to money. So many extreme emotions get stirred up when, it, when we think about money. I saw this quote the other day. It's from the function of success to the lure of lust. Many things in this world will vie for your affection and devotion. But the most significant idol you will face is money. Uh, Tim Keller tells uh, this story in his book, Counterfeit Gods, of a couple who came to a pastor for some marriage counsel. And the husband was just really, really annoyed at his wife. Um, she, he thought that she was just this um, uh, like spendthrift. She spent all of her money on, on herself all the time. But she thought he was just a complete tight-fisted miser. Who, um, and this was just causing loads of problems in their marriage. And then one day the pastor was speaking one-on-one -on -one with the husband and um, he was just moaning about his wife and she spent this and she spent that. And the pastor turned to him and said, do you see that by not spending or giving away anything, by saving every penny, you're being just as selfish? You're spending absolutely everything on, being, on the need to feel secure and protected and in control. Fortunately for the pastor, the man was shocked rather than angered, and uh, it actually really helped their marriage. But I want to propose that greed is not only the love of money, but excessive anxiety about it. Greed is not only the love of money, but it's excessive anxiety about it. And I don't know which side of the fence you sit on. God desires our devotion, and he knows that you will come face to face uh, with the temptation of money and the fear of lack, which is why he just speaks about it so often. So often he speaks about this in the Bible. In Luke 12, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. I think this is a remarkable statement. I don't know whether you could think of another traditional sin in, in the New Testament, for example, or in the Bible, um, like adultery. Jesus doesn't say, be careful you're not committing adultery. He doesn't have to. Like, if you're in bed with another person's spouse, you'd know about it. Halfway through, you don't go, oh, wait a minute, I think this might be adultery. You know it is. And yet, even though it's clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks that it's actually true of them. So this is why he says, I I'm going to warn you about it. Because you kind of don't feel that it's actually a problem. Jesus warns us far more about greed than sexual immorality. And yet almost nobody thinks that they're guilty of it. So I want to be as bold as to say that I think it could possibly be a problem for everyone. So before you tune out, think this doesn't apply to me, I don't know whether you can just turn to your neighbour, wherever you are, Westside or Battersea, and say this, money could easily be a problem for me. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say that? <laughs> Money is it's obviously, it's obviously resonating with you guys. Money is obviously one, it's one of the most common counterfeit gods that there is. When it takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what's happening. It controls you through your anxieties and your lusts, and it brings you to put it ahead of all things. So, now that we've all admitted that we might have a problem with this, should we see if the, the Bible has anything to say about this? I want to talk about three things for our, from our, our rest of our time together. I want to talk about the fact that you can't have two masters, 
Uh, we're going to talk about locating your treasure and then some practices to lean into to sort of move our hearts away from this idol of money. Uh, the Bible has so much to say about money and Jesus talks about it so often. So let's read one of the passages where Jesus is talking about it. So if you want to turn to Luke 16, um, the passage will come up on the screen, but you can turn to your own physical Bibles if you'd prefer. So Luke 16, verse 13 um, onwards. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And Jesus uses all these basic biblical metaphors for idolatry in this passage and applies it to, to greed and money. Um, he talks about idolaters doing three things with their money, loving them, trusting them, and obeying them. Lovers of money are those who just find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money or new possessions to buy and looking with jealousy on those that have things that they don't. Trusters of money, I think this is a bit more sneaky, I feel they feel that they have control of their lives and they feel safe and secure if they have money. And idolatry also makes us servants of money. Just as we serve earthly kings and governments, so we sell our souls to our idols because we look to them for our significance or our worth or our safety or our security. We have to have them. And therefore, we're driven to serve and essentially obey them. And so when Jesus says that we serve money, he uses this word that means the solemn covenantal service rendered to a king. So if we live for money, we are slaves. So hard in London, isn't it, to not fall into this? However, if God becomes the center of our lives, this automatically demotes money down the pecking order. Just a little bit further in the same passage, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does it say after that? And all these things that will be, will be added unto you. So it's not like you won't get these things, but you have to put him first. It's, but it's, it's a really tough challenge. Like we, but we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot do both. For, for the next two or three years after the bankruptcy episode, I basically don't know how we managed to stay in Balham in the home that we have. We basically had far more money going out than we did coming in, and yet somehow it worked. We, we knew that God had called us to live in Balham. He'd spoken that over our lives. Um, we knew he hadn't finished with us being in this area. Um, and th this is before we planted this church. And so we'd say to God, you know, we can't afford to stay here. It would be so much easier to move out of London. Um, you have to provide. If you want to see it, you're going to have to do that. And we decided over a period of time to seek him first rather than financial logic. And, but it, it's such a challenge to do that, isn't it? When you're seeing the things like in black and red coming in, um, it's so hard to actually choose that right posture. And how Jesus ends this passage is that God knows our hearts. This is the key. It's about the heart posture. 
Where are our hearts positioned towards money and where are they positioned towards him? Because, you know, we do need money to live. We need a roof over our head. We need food to eat. Money is not an evil in itself, but it's the position, it's the hold that it has on our hearts. Mike said a couple of weeks ago, it's a good thing that's become an ultimate thing. And has it become an ultimate thing in your life? Jesus also says in Matthew 6, if you want to turn to that, again, it's going to come up on the screen. Matthew 6, verses 19, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we talked firstly about not being able to serve two masters. Secondly, I just want to challenge us with the call to locate your treasure. There's a fantastic book by Randy Alcorn, obviously American, um, called The Treasure Principle. Um, highly, highly recommended book. It was really, really challenging. But he says that God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. And I know for us, we realize that we couldn't, um, you know, our home actually belongs to God, not us. So why worry about whether we'd actually keep it or not? He has no shortage of resources. We're just his money manager. And I think this principle of realizing that everything belongs to God, it just dramatically reduces our anxieties and it frees us from this trap of money. Let's go back to verse 21 in Matthew 6. Um, it's tucked in at the end there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an interesting verse, this. I think I'd always thought if your heart was right, you would naturally use your treasure righteously. And yet that's not what the scripture says. Jesus says, doesn't say that your treasure will follow your heart. He says that your heart will follow your treasure. And so the way to change your heart is not by trying to change your heart. It's by learning to choose your treasure wisely. Treasure leads the way and the heart follows. So if you want to change your heart, move your treasure. Um, if you know, I, I get look at look at the way that you spent your money last month. I mean, how, how did it shape your life? Where where were the priorities of your spending? If you're anything like me, probably not in the direction I want my heart to go. If I'm totally honest, treasure has a mind of its own, and it will go its own way regardless of the desires of your heart. But your heart, on the other hand, is far more loyal and it will eventually follow where your treasure leads it. This is, this is a little bit scary, isn't it? It's a bit frightening, but it, I think there's a possibility for it to be encouraging. Um, we, you know, we like to believe that our heart is in charge, don't we? Um, and that our treasure will follow, but generally this isn't true. But also, this is the encouraging part, it gives us hope because it provides a game plan for changing hearts. Um, we want to become more like Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus. And I want my heart to change to become more like him. Um, and it's often difficult to know, how, how do I change my heart? Like, how do I actually do that? Whereas controlling our treasure is a bit more straightforward. It takes a plan, takes a budget and some discipline, but it's at least easy to identify what needs to be done. And so if you move your treasure towards eternity, 
the promises that your heart will follow. So, we've looked at you can't have two masters, locate your treasure. Lastly, I just wanted to briefly look at some practices to lean into. Practices that God has suggested and that he has set up to kind of help us move our hearts away from having money as an idol. And one of these systems that God has set up is called tithing. Um, So I wanted to touch briefly on this subject, give some basic principles regarding it. Um, Tithing, for those of you who've never heard about it, is this principle that God has set up in the Old Testament where he required the first 10% of all that we earn to be given to the temple. So does the Old Testament um, model of tithing still apply to Christians today since it was part of the Old Covenant? I hear you ask. Um, I have mixed feelings on tithing. I can't stand legalism, um, and I certainly don't want to impose superseded first covenant restrictions on Christians. However, the fact is that every New Testament example of giving goes way beyond the tithe. The call of Jesus is to a life of grace. And if anything, it's to a more radical lifestyle. We're never told that tithing has been superseded. Jesus directly affirmed it. it. Prominent church fathers taught it as a requirement for Christian living. I I love this phrase in Acts 4.33, and it says, The disciples gave all that they had because much grace was upon them all. And so it was obvious that being under grace didn't mean that the the New Testament Christians would give less than their Old Testament ancestors it actually meant that they would give more. So I I just believe being under grace does not mean by living, doesn't mean that you live under lower standards. Jesus never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But he also empowers us by his grace to jump higher than the Lord demanded. God's economy doesn't work like the earth's economy. It just doesn't. It doesn't. I've honestly, I've seen it firsthand that when you have this attitude shift of everything belongs to him and joyfully giving it away, he gives far more back. It just doesn't work like the earth's economy. But if you don't know where to start, tithing is a really good place to start. It's a really great starting point. And God, God is saying, like, test my vision of reality. Try it out. See what happens. Just try it. Try tithing. See what happens in your heart. Try it for six months. Just change your budget for six months and see what happens to your heart. See if in six months you feel deprived and more angry or if you feel more free or more content or more joyful than you ever have before. John Mark Homer uh, says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says this. He says, practices are how we index our heart through our mind and our body in the direction of life in Jesus' kingdom. As best I can tell for Jesus, tithing is a practice by which we move our heart away from fear and greed and discontentment and injustice and towards a heart of gratitude, trust, peace, love, compassion for those in need. Who doesn't want that? Um... I I really believe that giving is, it's not a maths issue, it's a heart issue. When you give, it's like this picture of your heart, and it's it's like the opposite of a closed-fisted mentality. 
you know, if I can just control what I have, if I can just control it, I'm going to hold this fist so tight that it ends up being the position of my heart. And I really think the enemy just sits there and just goes, yeah, you know, if I had a little bit more money, I would give. If I had a little bit more money, I'd then start giving. But this uh, John D. Rockefeller quote, that well-known, uh, anyway, um, John D. Rockefeller says, I never would have been able to tithe my first million dollars I ever made if I'd not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. This is not about the amount of money. This is not about how much you give. You know, I recognize the cost of living crisis is real. The stretch of our income is massive, and the opportunity for anxiety to mount over the next few months is real. I recognize that. But I really believe that giving has to become a habit. It has to be the number one line on your budget. No matter where you are financially, it has to be the number one line, because ultimately it changes you. When you give, you start to move on the spectrum of yourself from being selfish to selfless. And you essentially become more like Jesus. What giving does is it pries open your fist. It gives this open-handed mentality and it changes your heart. It changes who you are and it puts God back on the throne. We're, we're created in the image of God. He is the biggest giver of, of all. Give, he gave us his son so that we can have a, this relationship with a perfect and holy God. And so if we're made in his image, we are created to be givers. Even if it's a not, even if it's not a lot, just something, because we're created to give. And it starts to shape something in you. It starts to shape you into becoming more, more like Jesus. I, you know, I really don't want to become legalistic in this. There's so much grace in this. But my plea to people is do not stop giving. Because it, it, it's a posture of your heart and your spirit. And it's just basically this belief that God is just extravagantly generous. And we can trust him. We can trust him. See, bottom line, it's all about trust, isn't it? Always all about trust. Do we actually trust him? Do we actually trust him with our finances, with our future, with our security? Just to um, give you an indicator of what Steve and I do, lots of people have this model, lots of people do it differently to us, but we have for most of our adult life given at least 10% of our gross income back towards, which, uh, towards whichever church we're a part of. And even though we're now employed by this church, uh, we still give 10% of our gross income back to Vineyard 61. And then on top of that, we give offerings, and that could be like paying for people's meals or giving to charity or helping a friend out. And, I mean, I, I've, it's challenging, like, giving this talk. You know, it's so easy to settle. And, you know, I've, we've set up a direct debit, and it just happens without it being a heart response. And yet I, I want to be someone whose heart is set on Jesus. Like, he's the number one, isn't he? I want, I want him to be my master and not my money. And this is the adventure that God invites us on. It's, it is an adventure, guys. If you live like this, it's, a, it's an adventure. It's not boring. 
when we went through these few years of not having enough, I, you know, we'd make the decision to increase our giving. That was, that was the first thing we did. If, whenever we didn't have enough, we'd increase our giving. Ridiculous. Um, but we'd, you know, we'd go, I really believe you've called us to live in Balham. And so you have to provide. We cannot do this without you. And so we'd increase our tithe or we'd give more money away. And I kid you not, like, honestly, month after month, we would have enough. Month after month, we would have enough. He's so faithful. He does it. He does it, guys. Even this last couple of weeks, I've heard some incredible stories of people as they've lent further into generosity, God providing for them. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So much fun. Um, so to be a follower and not just a, fun, a fan of Jesus, giving isn't really optional. Jesus commands it. He expects it of us. We have a choice as to whether to follow his call, but I think the choice is more prayerfully decide, to decide with God how much to give. Um, it's almost like we have this paradigm shift, just, just to think of it as pure privilege with incredible rewards, both now and, and in the age to come. It's less of a have to than we get to. You know, the benefits so far outweigh the costs. It's a no-brainer. But this, this practice is just one of the ways that helps get money off the throne of our lives. Because we have to trust him. We give to him first. First fruits of everything. They belong to him. And, and our aim is, as a church, to be a, just a community of people which changes the lives of thousands of people in, in this city. To rewrite the story of our city. Uh, there's a phrase that Causeway Coast Vineyard have, which is, we are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. I love that. And that's the goal, isn't it? To see this city, this nation, this world transformed by the gospel. And our giving is one way that we absolutely partner with him in this. Our, you know, our purpose as a church, God is in the transformation business and we get to join in. This is such a good way to join in. We get to partner with our money and see what God can do. You know, a really significant way to join in the transformation business is to set up regular committed giving to the church. We, we have a big vision. And um, the reality is we don't have enough money to pay all our staff what we would like to pay them. That's the reality. We don't ha we'd love to be able to employ more people to lessen the load that a lot of us are under. We'd love to be able to do that or to press into some of the areas of compassion that we really want to lean into. We'd love to be able to do that. Or to, you know, to increase our presence in local schools and help um, at-risk young people. There's so many things we want to do. We have a big vision to see God transform London. And he wants to each, use each one of us to fulfill that. So as I come down to land... Um, I wonder if the bands could just come up at Westside and at Battersea and here at Ballum. I think there are a few things that um, God wants to challenge us in today. Firstly, I just wanted to give an opportunity um, for people to surrender to Jesus. Like, maybe it's for the first time. Their life with Jesus is, is not an easy one, but it... I, I don't know, just having somebody else in charge of your life, gosh, it's so freeing. Not having to do it all yourself, giving him control. Um, and so there may be people here this morning that have never said yes to Jesus. 
Like, I'd really encourage you to do that. He is a good father. He is longing um, to bring good things to his children. All of his commands are good commands. He does it for us as well as um, for, this, for this world. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I can guarantee it. Um, the other thing is, is just this question. I just wonder how much of a grip money has on your heart. And um, it just might be a moment for you to reflect with the Lord in that. Um, you might want to come down the front, um, kneel before the cross, or just at the front of, of whichever site you're at. And just, just have this moment with the Lord of just, do you know what? I'm going to surrender my anxieties about money. I'm going to surrender the control that I have about money. I'm going to surrender the fact that I just want to get stuff all the time or jealousy towards other people. Or maybe there's just a practical action to take. Maybe you want to set up regular committed giving. And I challenge you in this. Like, I really challenge you. See if God will not pour open the floodgates of heaven as you step out in faith. So we're going to worship together this morning. Um, let, let's just pray before we worship. Jesus, thank you that you're worth everything. Thank you that you're worth everything. Thank you that um, you gave it all for us. You are such a generous father. So would you just highlight areas where we haven't quite given you control over this, over, over the area of money? Would you highlight things in our hearts that need to be surrendered to you again? And we, we give you this, these next months and years ahead of us as, as a nation, as um, as we, you know, we're heading headlong into this cost of living crisis. God, would we be a people whose presence is not anxious in this city because we trust in you? Would you would you prize open our fists when we're when we're thinking about money? Would you do a work in our hearts? And God, would you? Just minister to us deeply this morning as we surrender again to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.